If you're visiting and you've sort of come in today as part of a, the second helping, if you like, on the life of Abraham, this man who God has called. And I want to put a title really, I know it's Living by Faith, but I want to say Learning to Live by Faith, because it is a process for us all to walk in faith. It is not natural. It goes against the grain. And last week, Ian had shared with us about Abram setting out on that journey that God had called him to do in obedience to this unknown land that God was going to show him. He also, in that land, then was tested. Was he going to be true to God? in the land that he'd found himself. The test came, was he going to trust God to protect him and provide for him? Or was he going to trust his own common sense and his own abilities to hatch a plan of self-preservation? It was certainly a challenge and a reality for Abram. Sadly, in choosing the path of common sense for Abram, he is treated well. He's looked after by Pharaoh of Egypt. And things are going well for him. He becomes materially rich. While his wife is put in a terrible, awkward situation. Gladly, God intervenes afflicts Pharaoh's household and somehow Pharaoh kicks Joseph, sorry, Abram out of the country with his life intact, with his wife, with Lot and the multitude of possessions that he had acquired. He's alive, materially wealthy, but his testimony as one who is a follower and a believer in the Lord is in tatters. But we pick up there in this passage of Genesis chapter 13. You're free to follow it as Peter read it out. We'll look at this. He drifts. We see there in the first part of the chapter 13, he drifts back almost the same route that he went down to Egypt. And he heads back to Bethel. He almost heads back to the basic things of his faith in God. The place of worship in his life. He went back to Bethel because that's where he left the last time when he was communing with God. And he returned to worship God there. And God appeared to him. For Abraham, it was a place of restoration of faith. A reminder of God's provision, God's protection, all wrapped up in those promises in chapter 12. And this is the grace of God in not just Abram's life, but in the life of all who want to follow him. God is still at work in us. But the comfort we can take is that he who's begun a good work will complete it. 
Life is not over for Abraham at 75. It's beginning and continuing. And for us, in a sense, we can say that what we're going to share later about Jesus' death and resurrection and paying the price for us, communion for us maybe is like a Bethel where we are restored, where our eyes are beginning to see once again and reminded of God's grace and provision. One of the followers of Jesus later on, Paul, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, when he had actually gone and shared the gospel with many people throughout Eastern Europe and the Middle East, he went back to encourage them in their faith. And he says to them in Acts 14.22, continue in the faith, in the journey of the faith. You don't just become a member and that's it. It's not like a club. It's a living exercise, as breathing is. And we know how essential that is. And he goes on to say, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Part of this journey is that there will be trouble, there will be difficulties, and there will be struggles that will oppress us on all sides. But in the sovereignty and the great wisdom of God, which is far above us, God allows these things to mold us, to strengthen us, to help us even though we would so gladly run away from it. So for Abram now, the next tribulation that comes to him, I may say, is a tribulation of the heart. He's begun this journey with Lot, his nephew, his brother who had died back in Ur, and he almost took Lot under his wing, and he's journeyed with him all the way through Haran, through Syria, and right down to Egypt, and now back up into the Promised Land. Lot has always been there. And we see there in verse 5 that Lot was moving about with Abram. Abram. And he had flocks and herds and tents. And it appears to suggest that Abraham is blessed just by being part of the journey. That Lot is blessed just by being part and partnership with Abraham in this journey. What a blessing. Are you blessed and encouraged by others? Are you taking somebody along in the journey of faith with you? Are you nurturing the faith of someone as you go along? Now the trouble begins because these two men have become very wealthy. We read in verse 2, Abraham becomes very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but in my reading on this is that that word, very wealthy, is a Hebrew word that's only used in this passage, apparently. And the translation goes a bit like this. To be heavy, weighty, and honorable. 
In boxing terms, Abram has now gone into the heavyweight league. Not physically, but he's become somebody that people would recognize. He'd, he'd gone up in position of the world. He had set out as a man, his nephew, and a couple sheep and cattle in obedience to God. And now God has elevated him to this position. Verse 6 tells us that even the land could not sustain them both at the same time. Such was the magnitude of their wealth. The demands of their cattle and their sheep and camels and people. And to add to that, we read in verse 7 that this was compounded by not just the Canaanites. When Abraham had gone into Egypt, the Canaanites were in the land. But now, somebody else had moved into the land. The Perizzites are now there. I don't know who they are. But it's somebody else there. In this land that God was promising to Abraham and his descendants. Now all eyes are on Abram and Lot. These strange men with the new religion. This new religion in believing in one God. And calling upon him. This God where they didn't make idols. Or they didn't make any sort of image of him. But they appealed to him. Who lived in the heavens. How are they going to manage under this pressure? The journey certainly so far has been challenging to them. Through drought. And plenty. But now their own wealth. Is driving a wedge between them. In a sense, Lot should have given away to Abraham and says, well, I'm going to leave you because this land is promised to you. But he doesn't do so. We see in verse 8, Abram is the one who appeals for peace. He appeals for peace between himself and Lot, between their herdsmen, and he says, we are brothers. He almost appeals to him as an equal. Isn't that the example that Jesus speaks about in Luke twenty-two twenty-six, When he says, in the world you will see people in authority and they will pass on that pressure upon you. But he says, it shouldn't be so among you. We're equal in the sight of God. We may have varying responsibilities. But we're not out to dominate. And so one of the traits of the Christian message is to pursue peace. As much as possible, Romans twelve eighteen tells us. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Hebrews eleven fourteen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus in John chapter fourteen twenty seven. That is the Prince of Peace speaking. So through Jesus' promises, his peace to us, we have to choose to live a peaceable life with others around us. And that is going to be tested. And that is going to be challenged. 
And we're going to have to work at it. It doesn't come easy. Look at Abram's attitude in verse 9. Is not the whole land before us? The promise is given to him and he, in a sense, can claim his right and say, well, actually, I want that bit and you can be contented with that bit. But he doesn't. He said, isn't there a whole land before us? He says, whatever you choose, whichever way you go, I'll go the opposite way. Can we see how the grace of God is at work in this man's life now? He treats Lot like a partner in a contract and an agreement of equal status. Not insisting on the best for himself. Not looking out for his rights. But he appeals to Lot like a friend and a brother and a father. Abram sacrifices self-interest for the sake of peace. Let me say that again. Abram sacrifices. He's willing to put aside his self-interest for the sake of peace. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ leave heaven? Did he not come to earth to die on a cross? And we're going to be remembering that in a while. And does he not appeal to us who have rebelled and offended him and lived our life as we so please to come and receive forgiveness through the cross? And through his own death, a sacrifice so that we can have peace with the very God we've offended. God is at work in Abram's life. And this grace is pouring out. Well, how does Lot respond? Well, we see a response that sort of gives us a little insight maybe into Lot's attitude at this time. We see in verse 10 that Lot looks up, but he had one direction to look in. He looked, don't worry, that's right. He looked due east. His eyes were fixed now on the plains of Jordan. His eyes were now fixed on the lush land over there. His eyes were now fixed on the land that was well watered. Maybe he was thinking of going back to Egypt. No, 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 that wouldn't be a thought. No, we're not going there. Maybe the border guys would certainly not let me in. But yes, in the east there is a future for me. It shows that Lot had journeyed out of Egypt with Abraham and he saw the, the terrible lesson that Abraham had to learn 
about common sense. There's a boundary to common sense when it comes to faith and obedience to God. But sadly, Lot hadn't grasped the message. And his eyes were still fixed on something pleasant for himself. He was now wealthy, and now he can go to a land where life could be easy. You know, there's water constantly flowing there. I don't have to traipse across these hills. It's a plain. So he chooses. And we see no trace or reference of God in there. As he set out to this pleasant land. We will later see the consequences of Lot's choices and the effect it has on him and the future generations to come. So verse 13 tells us that Lot sets out. He sets off into sail into a storm he cannot see brewing. But we read there what God has to say in verse 13. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, the Bible clearly tells us that all of us sin against the Lord. But it seems to make a note, particularly of these men of Sodom, who seem to go out of their way to grieve God and to reject him. We will come to that later. But they soon part. A relative, a friend, a fellow traveler in the journey of faith departs. We've been talking about season earlier, haven't we? I think my kids would certainly miss her. They part, and we could almost feel Abraham's heartache. I'm sure you can. Of this friend, companion on the journey, but for him to make a decision, maybe Abraham doesn't know what is in tale, but it must have grieved him. But what we see is God quickly comes to Abram. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot departed from him, lift up your eyes. God is actually telling Abram to lift his eyes and see something different that Lot could not see. The eyes of faith. God comes to him as a comforter, bringing strength of heart, reminding Abraham of why he's in the land and what is yet to unfold. He comes quickly. Lift up your eyes, the Lord says. Abraham is now encouraged by God to look again at the land. And this land of promise, not with the earthly and, and material eyes, 
but the eyes of faith. An eye to the future. Let me quickly read you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This great chapter of faith. Certainly can read it when you get home. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, common sense stops there, doesn't it? Because common sense can't see. Common sense plans and based all its decisions on what it can see. But faith is described there as living in the promise of God, even though there is no evidence. Some people might say that's an absolutely stupid thing to do. But it's unless God comes into our life and opens our eyes and works in us, faith doesn't make sense. Abraham had no children, yet God was saying, I'm going to make your descendants great. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the nations through you. And here is a man crawling up towards 80 with not a child at his feet. That is faith, isn't it? Read further on in Hebrews 11 later and you'll see how he's commended for his faith. Verse 17 says, Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land. Go and see who's living there. Where the rains come from. Where the rivers are. Go and see where the pastures are great. Where the timber will be great for the future building. Go and see where the sheep will dwell well. Go, look, and open your eyes to what is there before you. If I may use that challenge to us, one of our struggles is we tend to be tempted to think once we become a believer in Jesus, that that is the end. But God wants us to go and look at the promises that he has given, for us to walk in the reality of them in our daily living. And soon our horizons will widen as we see Abraham sees beyond the natural here what God is able to do in his life. And we can see beyond by faith what God is doing in our life. Not just for our good, but for the good of those around us and for his glory. I want to stop at this point and just read 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to follow it in the church Bible, it's 1217, right at the back of the Bible. If later on you want to read about what Jesus has to say about the true children of Abraham, you can look up in John chapter 8, verse 31. And Jesus has a discussion with the Jews about this. But in 1 Peter, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, later on writing to believers, in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven, if you like, reserved in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice of what is to come. Though now, for a little while, in view of eternity, it is a little while, even though the tribulations feel like eternity at the time. Though for a little while, Peter's writing to those who are persecuted and tortured for their faith. Though for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold... which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved to be genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith. God wants to weigh that faith up. And what he says is that, to me, that is worth more than gold. And Abraham's faith to God was worth more than all his wealth, all his heaviness that he was carrying, all his power, all his glory. God values our trust in him. During coffee, there'll be a questionnaire to fill out on the names of kings and their lands. Otherwise, you won't get any biscuits. Well, this chapter then reveals something else that we were not aware of about Abraham. Let us look at this. I will not go through the names. I thought Peter did fantastic. But in the first ten verses of this chapter, what we see, basically, is the local kings, if you like, in this pond, the big fish, are being dominated by some bigger fish that live elsewhere. And these big fish have rebelled against the bigger fish. And there's a confrontation in the valley. Sorry, the bigger fish win. But all of this draws Lot in. Lot is part of Sodom. We see that now he's living there. Uh, Maybe I'm reading into it, but it, it almost suggests that he's moved in. He's abandoned his tents, the picture of his pilgrimage, and he's now settled and comfortable there. He's drawn in. Take note. Look at the path that Lot has taken so far. Look at the link with Psalm 1. The man who walks in the way of the wicked, who sits then in the 
presence of the wicked, and now dwells there. Psalm 1. You see, if we look on a large picture here, we, we get a, a bit of an insight into many facets and, and the character of God a bit. God is very patient. We read in the previous chapter that how much Sodom had, was wicked and has rebelled against God. And this chapter on a global sense is almost God's shot across the bow to Sodom to say, sort yourselves out. Something is going to happen. And by the grace of God, Abram intervenes and rescues Sodom. And he, he, the king of Sodom receives back most of his possessions and his people. But it's like a shot across the bow for this nation, this group of people. Word comes to Abram. In verse 13, that Lot is captured and taken off. We see there that Abram has entered in some sort of peaceful alliance with the people in the land. As we saw in the previous chapter, this character pursuing peace at all costs. But he enters in here a relationship with his neighbors. That they weren't going to consume each other for wealth. But we also see this man of peace not sticking his nose in. He doesn't side up with the king of Sodom in the battle because it had nothing to do with him. He was keeping his nose out of trouble that wasn't his. He was being wise in this. We also see Abram's influence for good. But those who are in the alliance with him seek peace as well. We also see about the number of Abram's trained men. This humble man of peace was wise enough not just to pursue peace, but to discipline his servants and to train them for a time when peace may not be possible. And he had these 318 trained servants. They were born in his household. He was committed in his relationships to his servants for the long haul. I find that challenging. How committed are you in your relationships? Uh, these servants were born in his uh, household, if you like, and have grown up and he's equipped them. For anybody who have a responsibility of other people, do you see people the same way as Abraham? Not just what you can get out of them, but you're equipping them for things that they aren't ready yet for. And we see him responding to this message of Lot is in trouble. 
maybe I would have been tempted to say, he made his choices. He got himself into it. He should get himself out of it. It's nothing to do with me. And Lot, uh, Abram does not go into this, we'll see later, for his own personal gain. It's truly out of a commitment to Lot. He goes at risk of his own life, his own future, and the future of his own children. And he is committed to Lot. Just as part of this fellowship, we have people who go out from here. And we need to see our commitment through to them. Because they're still part of us. Even though they may be thousands of miles across the world. Abram now seems to be exercising that day-to-day walk of faith. And the exercise is such that when trouble suddenly comes... (laughs) And it certainly comes, doesn't it? With a man tumbling into his tent almost, dry and parched with a message for him. That he is equipped. He is ready to respond in faith and not panic. And see the outcome of the grace of God in his life. By the way, this is the only conflict that is recorded that Abram got into with regard to battles. In verse 16, we see that he travels, sorry, uh, in verse 14 to 15, he pursues these kings from Hebron to Dan, which is about over 120 miles. And then he keeps going until he acquires everything that they've taken for another 50 or 60 miles beyond Damascus. In verse 16, we see he recovers all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. And God has certainly given him victory in this incident. So Abraham trained, Abraham prepared, and by the day-to-day walk of faith, when the trouble came, He was ready to respond because he knew God's grace with him and he knew that God was going with him because his motives was not selfish. And then Abraham is introduced to a new person here. In verse 17 particularly, he meets the king of Sodom. And in verse 18, we meet this character, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, or the king of peace. Which Salem apparently became Jerusalem. That's right. But this Melchizedek comes out to him bringing bread and wine. (laughs) Very simple things and symbols that he sits down and and brings respite to Abraham almost. And this Melchizedek is described here, he was the priest of God Most High. 
We don't know whether Abraham ever met him before, but it doesn't seem so. But yet there was somebody there who Abraham never knew that this was a man who was a priest of God, calling on the name of the Lord in the very land. If you want to find out a bit more, you can see Hebrews chapter 7 with regard to Melchizedek. But he's certainly one of great honor in the sight of God. Because Melchizedek comes and blesses Abraham. And throughout the Old Testament we, and the New Testament, we see this. That the one who blesses the other is of greater honor. And this is part of almost the fulfillment, part of the unpackaging of the promises in chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, that I'll bless those who bless you. And I will be a blessing to all people. And we will see this here. In verse 20, God is honored. In return for delivering the enemies of Abram into his hands. And Abraham sees in this man something of the holiness of God, this priest, this one who intervenes on the behalf of us. And in his gratitude for God's deliverance, for God's fulfillment, because it appears that when he is asked and offered by the king of Sodom to, to keep the possessions, uh, in verse 22, Abraham says, I have raised my hand to the Lord, the God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath. He said, I have committed myself to this task, and part of that was that I was not going to gain anything from it. It was an oath. And yet now all the tribute is there at my feet for my taking. I will not. It does not belong to me. But he gives a tithe of the spoils to Melchizedek. He was not going to make himself rich. Somebody else demise. We see he goes on in verse 24 to honor his allies, and he allows them to take their share of the spoils. But he sets the example to his servants they could only take what they needed to eat for their daily provision. Nothing more. You see, the blessing at this stage in Abram's life was sufficient for him. He wasn't going to pursue any more wealth. If it happened, it was going to be because God provided. And it wasn't about him becoming more wealthy. 
It was for the future and his descendants. The temptation for us is to think that we calculate and read into this that if I'm doing well, God is blessing me. Remember the lesson of when Abram was sat in Egypt. He was doing well there. But was his heart right with God? No. Wealth is not something that we can use to gauge our spiritual life. The world may use it to gauge and weigh people up. But it's not what God is interested in, as I shared earlier. Our faith in God is much more precious than gold. Our obedience to him is much more precious than as many great sacrifices we can make to him. Because in that obedience, we honor him. So whether we're doing well financially, or whether we're doing not so well financially, the true gold is where my heart lies. Is it in God? Or is it in myself? It is now 12. And I think I should finish there. But let us pray. Father, we thank you for this example of Abram in his journey of faith, learning to trust you more and more, staying close to you day by day. Lord, we see the honesty of your word. Lord, you do not cover up his failings and his shortcomings. You've revealed it for us to see. And yet, Lord, in your grace, you do not show us up in our feelings and shortcomings. But we can look to one who did, who was perfect and holy, and lay down his life for us on the cross. We pray, O oh Lord, that by your grace day by day, that we would be committed to that walk of faith, to that renewing of our relationship with you, day by day, step by step in this journey. And we ask, O oh Father, that we may know your grace and help when all tribulations come to us. May we know your sustaining power and strength enabling us. And also not just for us, but for those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we may be of comfort and encouragement to them. That we may be taking a lot along with us in this journey of faith. So bless us now, we pray. And as we go into this new week, may our eyes not look to the east as Lot did, but may we look into your rich promises that you've laid bare before us, may we see them with the eyes of faith and take hold of them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.